Welcome to FASD Hope, a podcast about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder through the lens of parent advocates with over 19 years of lived experience. FASD Hope provides awareness, information, and inspiration to those people whose lives have been touched by FASD. And I'm the host of FASD Hope, Natalie Vecchione. Welcome to today's episode. Thanks for joining us today. Today, I'll be speaking with Sophie Harrington and Louise Gray of NoFASD Australia. NoFASD Australia has a strong commitment to FASD prevention at a primary, secondary, and early intervention level. NoFASD Australia is working towards ensuring FASD is recognized as a disability in Australia, promoting social inclusion by advancing the rights and interests of people living with FASD and providing the necessary supports to individuals and families at a grassroots level. This advocacy work is fundamentally important in preventing the social, health, economic, and justice consequences of this condition for all Australians. In addition to delivering support to families living with FASD, NoFASD Australia also provides education and training workshops to parent and carer groups, government and non-government service providers, and school communities throughout Australia. Louise Gray, the Chief Executive Officer of NoFASD Australia, has recognized the need for comprehensive understanding and action on FASD for more than 20 years. Louise's career has been built on a background of education, career counseling, not-for-profit management, and offender programs for reintegration and intervention. Louise holds education and humanity degrees and a master's research degree from Murdoch University in Western Australia. The research was focused on community knowledge and awareness of alcohol and pregnancy. Sophie Harrington is the Chief Operating Officer of NoFASD Australia. Sophie has held many roles in the community development sector managing regional and national teams. Her broad social sector experience includes senior leadership and management of programs which reduce substance misuse, addictions, and homelessness. She has also designed and implemented programs and services to enhance health literacy, life skills, and transitions from detention centers and prisons. Her early career work centered on early learning at-risk youth, and career development. Welcome to today's episode. I am so thrilled to be speaking with today's guests. We are advocating across the globe today with NoFASD Australia, and I have the honor of speaking with Louise Gray, who's the CEO of NoFASD Australia, as well as Sophie Harrington, who's the COO of NoFASD Australia. Louise and Sophie, welcome to FASD Hope. Hi, Natalie. Thank you. We're both so eager to join your podcast that we're both about to burst in and interrupt each other. But um, it certainly is like a coffee club and it's really lovely to have you um, invite us and we're really delighted to be here. So thank you. Yes, thank you. A pleasure. Thanks, Natalie. Thank you both. And it took some coordination to get 
this scheduled because, you know, for, for us in the States, we have a couple of, we have, you know, three or four time zones, but in Australia, we have quite a few more. So getting that coordination um, takes some time, but it's certainly worth it. So I'm so happy to be speaking with you both. So it really has been quite a year, quite a year and a half, almost two years, especially since the start of the pandemic, that so many organizations around the world have really increased in their advocacy and really have just made some amazing strides in advocacy for FASD. So before we start our conversation, can you share with our listeners how you both became involved in FASD, uh, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder advocacy, education, and work with No FASD Australia? Sure. Thanks, Natalie. It Almost everyone who ends up in FASD has a long history where they've discovered the incredible injustice that um, surrounds and swirls around FASD. So I think that's, I did some work in the 90s with some foster children in in Canada who had FASD. So when I returned to Australia, I was astonished that no one seemed to know about it when it was so obvious that it was around. So it's been sort of 30 years for me. But certainly in the last couple of years, there's been dramatic changes. But I think once you understand FASTA, you never forget about it. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And um, ironically, Louise and I actually worked together um, about oh, 14, 15 years ago. And it was Louise that first introduced me to FASD because she was doing a master's thesis and I um, was asked whilst I um, already had one child and was expecting a second. And Louise had said to me, would I ask my parent group um, what their views were on alcohol in pregnancy? And I remember being really surprised. Everyone had quite different ideas and yet we were all from the same backgrounds and same social group. And uh, I joined No FASD about three and a half years ago, having worked um, across sort of prison programs Um, in out-of-home care sector and in the drug and alcohol industry but really FASD whilst I'd seen many individuals it really hadn't raised its head too much and uh, then I knew that uh, no FASD were the longest running um, national organization for parents carers and individuals in Australia and I thought this would be an awesome organization to work for and learn more. What an amazing collaboration and Louise that statement once you understand FASD, you never forget about it. Oh my goodness, that is such an amazing statement. And it's so true. We all know no matter how you are involved in FASD and no matter how you're involved in learning about fetal alcohol, once you understand it, I tell people, I, I kind of have this um, joke that it's like the, the movie, The Matrix, where <laughs> where you take the red pill or the blue pill. And, and once you understand, once you take that pill and you have that understanding, there's no going back. So I really appreciate that. So most of us have a personal relationship when coming into the FASD community. And both of you have come into it as professionals. And Sophie, your comment about how you have different answers from different mothers it's so true still in this day, you know, it's of 2022 and people still have differing opinions and differing viewpoints about FASD. 
Absolutely. And Natalie, that's a great segue into another reason why I really wanted to talk with you today. And while you have Louise and I here both talking, is that um, when I joined NoFASD sort of three and a half, four years ago, you're absolutely right. I came as a professional, having worked with many people um, in many areas. And over the course of my journey, um, really doing my research in the early days was when I actually realized that the cause of my son's many different challenging behaviors could be due to prenatal alcohol exposure before I knew I was pregnant. So at that point, despite all of the families I'd worked with and the knowledge I thought I had, nobody at any point during our journey had ever said to me, did you drink alcohol when you were pregnant? Nobody had ever said um, that that period of time before pregnancy confirmation was an at-risk time. So my story, which I tell frequently now, but I do protect, um, usually in Australia, I don't share my surname because I, my son doesn't want to be known at this point, and I respect that. Um, but I drank before I knew I was pregnant um, on probably three occasions. Um, in Australia, we call binge drinking sort of more than four units of alcohol. So there would have been three occasions that were more than four units. Um, and when I found out I was pregnant at six and a half weeks, I would have one unit of alcohol a week because the guidelines in Australia were safe at that time is what it said. So never was I asked, never did it ever occur to me on the many, many visits to health professionals across the years that alcohol could have been to play for our son's challenges and behaviours. And um, it wasn't until last year. Um, so 2020, that we actually got a diagnosis for my son. And honestly, that would probably never have happened had I not have joined NoFASD and got the information that I received. So that's a very interesting segue as to how we came here. So first of all, thank you for sharing your story and your family's journey. And, and especially that requires so much vulnerability which we in the FASD, in, we understand when you share your journey, it's about helping others as well as helping your loved ones and, and, and learning and growing. So thank you, first, first of all. And, and secondly, your journey brings up so many points that we face, you know, every day uh, that there's a misconception that fetal alcohol only happens in the adoptive communities, or it only happens in, in foster care, or it only happens with certain populations. We know that's not true. Absolutely. And I'd, I'd have to say as well that um, when I think back to the questionnaire that I said to you, the survey I did that Louise had asked me to do those years back, I know now that so many of the thought processes of the other women that were in my same educated middle-class social circle would most certainly have had prenatally exposed um, children, um, but whether they will ever know that story and that story will ever come through will, will be interesting. Louise, I think you wanted to say something as well. Oh, I was just going to add, just sort of continuing on from Natalie's point, the, you had such a difficult time actually working with health professionals to even get the diagnosis. The, the stigma and the attitude around it there was a reluctance to actually address the concerns that Sophie had. We think that happens a lot more frequently and it's certainly part of the problem because there's just you know, a real reluctance to acknowledge that it could be FASD and the continuous sort of blaming of 
target communities, and certainly uh, we've all we're all aware that it's a significant problem amongst people who have ended up being justice involved. But it doesn't mean that it's not a mainstream problem as well. It's just a, the whole thing is just a, something that needs more greater awareness to prevent it. And thank you both just for sharing that because we have so many listeners that they are pursuing a diagnosis or are wondering if they should pursue a diagnosis. And you, Sophie, through joining NoFASD Australia, you were able to say, you know what? I think there's something bigger that needs to connect these dots. You know, just like we did with our son 19 years ago when he started piling up the diagnoses. And Sophie, I'm sure you, you can relate to it. You, your, your child gets diagnosis after diagnosis after diagnosis, and yet the the treatments or interventions or medications that they suggest don't work. And mm. when somebody finally says, "Have you ruled out fetal alcohol?" and then you learn about fetal alcohol. And again, like Louise says, once you understand it, you, you can't forget it. Once we, once my husband and I understood this is what FASD is, it checked off every box that all the other diagnoses could not, you know, check off completely. And somebody, a previous guest had once said, um, and, and I use this quote often, is that ADHD or autism or something like that it's part, it's an accurate diagnosis, but it's not the complete diagnosis. When we're talking about fetal alcohol, you know, it, it's part of the bigger diagnosis. And I think finally, before we move on to our next question, I really think that it's important for our listeners all around the globe, people anywhere to know that there is no stigma in saying that, you know what? I drank before I realized I was pregnant. And just like there are so many other things that people still don't realize that, you know, okay, if you're pregnant, then, okay, this, this could affect, you know, the, the unborn child, you know, in a, in a harmful way. There are so many things that I think that we need to acknowledge that there, there should not be stigma. This is, yeah. this is a developmental disability that has a cause. And that what you're seeing are symptoms, not behaviors. And, and just um, just in, and I know you want to move on as well, Natalie, but just to say with that, you know, as, as somebody who had the ability to read and the capacity to read all about becoming pregnant, um, I used to socially smoke when I socially drank, but I stopped smoking a year before I even thought about coming off the contraceptive pill. Um, as soon as we thought we might start um, having unprotected um, sex at that point, um, you know, I started to drink one week coffee a day. Um, once I knew I was pregnant, you know, I would still have one unit of alcohol because I thought that was safe to do so. But I would wash my salads. I didn't eat soft cheese because that was all of the information I'd had. And back in 2005, at no point did anyone suggest how serious or any information I could find of how serious and how impactful um, alcohol can be to a developing fetus. So, yes, yeah. yes. And this is especially true now that we know. And now that we have this information, it's our responsibility to, sh to share it so that others don't struggle with trying to get a diagnosis after years. You know, I, I know for us, it was 15 years, you know, I know I, I'm sure it was about uh, how, how long was it for you to finally get that accurate diagnosis, Sophie, for yourself? Um, 
to be honest with you, we still wouldn't have a diagnosis if I hadn't continued to pursue it. Um, wow. I could easily have walked away with an ADHD diagnosis mm-hmm. um, and a query autism diagnosis. But we had to, I actually had to strongly advocate with the GP and then um, with other professionals to make sure we got the diagnosis. So the actual FASD diagnosis probably took us 18 months. Um, But we'd been looking for something because we knew there was something and our son just didn't hit any of the other measures and markers. So, yeah. And that stresses before we move on to our next question, that really stresses the global systemic need for education for all professions about FASD. And when I say all professions, I mean medical professionals, educational professionals, justice professionals, anyone who works with with people should know and have this systemic. We, We know about other diagnoses. We know about other impairments, disabilities that affect development. We need to know about FASD and it needs to be systemic. This is what happens. This is, you know, this is the science behind it. So yeah, that need, we talk about it. It's so desperate here in the United States, but it's, it's a global, it's a global need. Natalie, I know you'd like to move off this topic, but it's opened up so many cans of words. Firstly, this is great. It'll be worth actually asking Sophie, because I don't want to put the words in her mouth, um, but I, we've had this conversation so many times, what her feelings are since, the, since she obtained an accurate diagnosis. But before I hand over the floor, I just wanted to say when you use the word systemic, I think the, the real problem is that we all need to be aware of is that um, FASD is up against uh, an incredibly wealthy, very active global industry that's absolutely globalized they're completely organized and i'm not going to mention brand names but you there's a a well-known us brand that's global Mm -hmm. and i saw one of their advertisements recently and i just looked at it and i thought you know we like as health prevention and professionals getting messages out we are up against beautiful teams of horses bowing down respectfully at the 9-11 monument and it's you know it's so powerful that imagery and we've got to combat that with the same sort of imagery to get the point out about FASD but this this problem is 50 years old it's 50 years old and really it was known hundreds of years and it has been known for hundreds of years but it was formally identified in the U.S as you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad you're bringing that up, Louise. I promise listeners we'll go on to our next question soon. But this is this is a huge conversation because we've had other guests from the sober community come on to our show and say, why is it that we have to normalize sobriety? And why do we have to defend sobriety in in, mm-hmm. in the world, anywhere in the world? Alcohol is such a big influence and people ask, why don't you drink? Well, shouldn't it be the other way around? And okay, somebody chooses to drink, that's fine. But if somebody chooses not to drink, why is that questioned? So that's what we're coming up against, you know, in Australia, in the States, everywhere. We're coming up against that big underlying foundation, you know, of alcohol of big alcohol, no matter how you consume it, no matter when or where. And there really needs to be, it's this healthcare pandemic within this pandemic that, okay, 
people need to know any amount of alcohol is not safe. And even if you're planning on getting pregnant, you need to stop consuming and your partner spouse needs to support that and stop too, because we know that that is a, a big influence as well. So, wow, we're, we're going to solve these problems right here <laughs> in this discussion. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Can I just say, Natalie, just just Absolutely. on that point, too, that, um, you know, we, we have um, conversations and um, talk to ladies who have been alcohol dependent as well. And if any of your listeners are listening now, um, really important. I just want to stress the point that if somebody is alcohol dependent, um, they're obviously getting support to stop drinking because to do so sort of suddenly, um, as we know, would be quite dangerous with support so yes and um for any health professionals listening on that telling a pregnant lady who's alcohol dependent to stop drinking because it's dangerous is not particularly helpful they really need support to yes. do so thank you for saying that sophie because we know especially for someone who has been drinking for a while that immediate abstinence can be detrimental you know to yeah. the body and experience things like withdrawal and, and symptoms that needs to be with a practitioner, a medical practitioner, it needs to be. So yes. And, and Sophie, before we end today, we will share some of those resources of, of helplines or people, you know, information that people can go to visit if they're saying, you know what, I, I need to stop. I need to do that. So I'm, I'm really okay. glad. I'm really glad you're bringing this up. So let's just talk about in the past couple of years, how no FASD Australia has developed and, and basically become the primary source for FASD, like I said in the introduction, information, recognition, awareness, support, services. Just let's talk about that growth. Oh, thanks, Natalie. We, I mean, the credit we need needs to really go to the Department of Health um, in Australia, the Commonwealth Department and the Alcohol and Other Drugs Unit there, because they have recognised the harm that FASD has, has done and the concerns about alcohol and pregnancy. Their interest started at least 10 years ago. So, you know, for the first part of its 20-year history, no FASD was um, very active, but without the support, it had less effect. So our growth has really been related to government recognition that um, FASD does need support and um you know, they've continued to do that. So Australia is now positioned to launch a national campaign in November of 2021, though the, the actual rollout will continue well into 2022, which is prevention and awareness raising targeted at, at all different levels. So there's a mainstream campaign which will go national. And that's been led, uh, it was funded by the Department of Health, but it's been led by FAIR, who's the Australian Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education, and they're a national organisation too, and we work closely with them. So those kind of collaborations and partnerships have made a huge difference, I think, in changing the landscape in Australia, but certainly government recognition is very important. And I'm incredibly thankful you're bringing that up, Louise, because here in the States, we have that introduction of the FASD Respect Act, the HR 4151, S2238. We have national legislation. I I hope as this podcast airs is 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 getting passed or, or in the process of getting passed, but that has been introduced. So we know how impactful the government recognition, awareness, support, and prevention involvement 
can make that growth even more exponential. So I'm so thankful you're sharing that. So let's talk about this past year and the efforts of No Fasty Australia and, and what exactly, because you all have been doing a lot of work. We in the States look to Australia as, as pioneers, especially in legislation, government support, research, everything that you all are doing. Let's talk about this past year, 2021, and what you all have accomplished uh, during this year. I, um, I think maybe if, if you don't mind for your listeners, if we can go back maybe six months or so before um, 2021, when we were all kind of in COVID world. Pre-COVID. Just started off and, Absolutely. Um, because there's something really significant when we're just talking about government support um, and, you know, that how it makes such a difference. Back in um, July 2020, Louise mentioned the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education previously. Um, but the Australian and New Zealand Food Standards Agency actually agreed to mandate a health pregnancy warning label on all alcohol products. So uh, the alcohol industry have three years. So by 2023, all alcohol products that are sold in Australia must have that health warning label. Um, and NOFASD and a number of other agencies were heavily involved in that and contacting ministers and advisors and having those conversations, sharing lived experience stories as to the impact of alcohol on a developing fetus and what that means in the long term, because obviously we all know that um, FASD is lifelong. So being able to share those stories and having that agreed and that support to finally have um, that image on a product, as we know, how can you educate people that don't understand the impact if there's not even a baseline that says this product is dangerous? So that was a major step forward in 2020. Um, and during that time as well, Louise, myself, and another one of our advocates with lived experience were able to speak to the Senate committee um, who ran a Senate inquiry into FASD in Australia. It's not the first Senate inquiry. There was one, I think, around about 10 years before. And, um, but the recommendations really hadn't been implemented. So um, last year's Senate inquiry, which was uh, the report was released this year in 2021. And um, to see those recommendations, 30 plus of them, talking about you know, the necessity for screening in the out of home care sector, in the justice sector, education um, in uh, universities for all health professionals and allied health professionals, education within schools, so many recommendations that if implemented can make such a major difference within Australia to the rates of um, FASD. So they were really kind of large milestones, I think, for us at no FASD. Louise, I might hand over to you to talk a bit more about what we've been doing in this last year. Oh, thanks, Sophie. Um, yes, I've sort of forgotten those bigger things, but they were very important. Just sort of in-house, we were we're fairly digital anyway because we were national anyway and we don't, didn't have the resources to reach people face-to-face. -face. So for us, um, we were able to bring in an online learning program, which we worked with um, and we're very grateful actually for the support of CANFASD, the national organisation there, because they... They had developed um, with, you know, an evidence-based online learning program and then they allowed us to adapt it so that we could put Australian context around it. So that's been fantastic and it's had sort of probably 1,500 learners or more, maybe, Sophie, has it? Yeah, more about, than. About 2,500 now as we speak yeah. in October 2021, so. 
Yeah, so it's had a one-year life, which has been good. And the other thing we were kind of happy about, which was a COVID bonus, but, you know, I would have rather not had COVID. But the COVID bonus was that individual, like family support groups online, we had a model for them and we wanted to implement it. And the start of that project came with COVID. So it became a non-issue. The notion of face-to-face in person had completely vanished and people jumped at the opportunity and we've had some amazing feedback from that. You know, a closed Zoom meeting does allow people to have great conversations to get support, develop relationships. And so we work through a seven week sort of um, guided program with uh, a professor of social work from New Zealand, actually, Anita Gibbs, and she's got lived experience as well. So her contribution as a lead facilitator has been fantastic. And then we have parent coaches. And then we organize, we enable the parents really to continue meeting if they want to, and many of them choose to continue. So that I think for me that that was sort of a big plus from the terrible pain in the neck that COVID is. And I mean, yeah, we could do a whole po- podcast on the challenges of COVID for people living with FASD as well in a family setting. Yes, we've actually done a podcast about that very episode of that very topic. Um, but Louise, I'm, I'm so glad you're mentioning, you know, we call it, uh, we have said on FASD Hope, it's the silver lining of COVID, that um, what the accessibility that the technology boom during COVID that has helped so many families, so many, you know, individuals with FASD, as well as so many organizations to be able to reach out and get to those people who would not be able to access in-person either support or care or programs or activities. Yeah. So that really is, I, it's amazing when I talk to different organizations, how the COVID pandemic has actually helped boom their advocacy at, efforts because pre, you know, pre-COVID, everything was in person and we had conferences in person and everything, which hopefully will still happen again someday. But right now for, for people like, like myself, I live on a farm access road. Big news of the day was a wild hog got out. (laughs) So out here, you know, in, in the middle of nowhere in the States, our closest support group was probably 45 minutes to an hour away. And I know that's short for some people, but you know, for, for most people it's not. So Thinking about the accessibility that No FASD Australia has been able to provide, especially in this past year and a half, that makes me very hopeful because the technology and the accessibility has really helped the recognition of FASD and getting supports and services for those families. So I'm so glad you both are mentioning that. With all that in mind, all these amazing accomplishments and services and programs that you have offered, what are your goals for 2022 when it comes to NoFASD Australia? (laughs) I was going to be polite and let Sophie start first instead of jumping in, but uh, I think you'd be, well, I was going to say, I think you're probably looking forward to sharing the news about our virtual conference and um, yes. Yeah, I think that's your news. I shouldn't steal that. Right. No, like the the new and different event for us and sort of riding on the back of the success of virtual events is that we're having uh, the NoFASD 
forum in May next year. So that'll be a virtual conference forum. And we will have a retrospective on FASD at 50. And we've asked Kenneth Jones to be the principal keynote speaker because he was one of the original researchers who led and wrote that first paper and is still incredibly active in FASD because he too can't believe that we're still wrestling with a problem at the at the level that we are and with the challenges that we have considering how long ago that paper was written so that's a big thing for us it's um you know it'll be held over two mornings in australia four hours a morning sort of thing because obviously it's not as easy to have people attend for full days at a virtual conference but um yeah that's sort of the the one of the big things that we're looking forward to next year. Is this something that we all can participate in so that it's not just limited to Australia, but is this something that folks from around the, the world, you know, myself included, can, can sign up yes. for? And, oh, wonderful. Yeah, so totally. We haven't worked out the logistics, or like time zone wise, it might, it'll have limited appeal to some people in the world um, and that will depend. But um, there should be a reasonable match between Canada and the US in terms of it not being a crazy time. We're not sure what the um, possible, like the recording and access afterwards will look like yet. Okay. Obviously, we try to um, enable that as well, but um, it's still okay. in the planning stage. But yes, absolutely. I mean, the, the interest, many, the thing you probably have discovered with FASD, and uh, I'm sure you have, is that the problems are the same the world over. Like people might use slightly different words, but FASD has the same issues in every country. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing that information. So before we move on to uh, talking about specifics about no FASD Australia, what are some important facts and information that you want global listeners to know about fetal alcohol spectrum disorders in Australia? I'll do the things that jump to my mind having butted in already, but certainly the myth busting. I mean, we've touched on it before, but just the myth busting around, you know, it can happen wherever alcohol is consumed, FASD can happen. Um, the no known safe limits, you know, that sort of um, grey area where, where there's sort of this you know, I've done my research and it's, you know, some drinks are okay and this kind of approach, it's it's like, you know, there's no evidence for that and there's a hell of a lot of evidence that um, there's no safe limit. Um, I guess re for us probably the other thing is the, the period of time from ceasing contraception to pregnancy identification. That's, that is the area that uh, in Australia, I think, is where lots of prenatal alcohol exposure occurs and it's, um, you know, a very potentially a very harmful time in a, in a country with relatively high rates of alcohol consumption and one of the highest in the world in Australia. And certainly it's, it's in the unhealthy range. So I'm sure it's exacerbated by COVID because here in the yeah. States, we have studies that show that drinking yes. in, in, you know, has increased by ridiculous percentages due to the COVID pandemic. So, yeah, there's been a lot of activity in Australia and FAIR, the foundation that I mentioned before, and uh, 
they've uh, done a lot of work advocating against online delivery and things like that because you can get, you know, enormous quantities of alcohol um, delivered to you in really quick time in many jurisdictions in Australia, if not all of them. And uh, one of our stakeholders made the comment who was formerly a um, seriously dependent drinker and she made the comment that she would actually be dead now if she had had access to online delivery. It's very harmful to have that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You were waiting for me to say something then, weren't you? (laughs) Um, And I think just on the back of what you were just saying there as well, Louise, like in Australia, um, we have guidelines at the Responsible Service of Alcohol, and I know all countries have something similar. Um, But in Australia, you 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 won't be served a drink if you stand at a bar and you appear to be intoxicated, whereas that's really not quite the same um, if you're having alcohol at home and it's being delivered on a regular basis. And uh, like all countries around the world, unfortunately, alcohol often is um, a causal factor for domestic violence and many other um, traumatic situations and um, I I think if we're to go back to what you were saying about the facts and information I think in and I'm sure again this is worldwide but in a country where we have um, politicians standing up and charging their beers and their wines at breakfast to celebrate the release of people being in lockdown from COVID when that's the message that we're sharing. So to normalize alcohol in such a way, what does that say to everyone else? And as a culture, if that's how we normalize alcohol, we need to normalize the fact that people will drink alcohol when they don't know they are pregnant. Um, And that's the only way we're gonna start to reduce that stigma as this is everybody's problem, if we wanna call it problem. This is everybody's issue, whether you are male, whether you are female, whether you are a grandparent or whether you are 12 and at school. Everybody needs that education because we go to our peers, don't we? You know, when we think about situations and I can think back to my pregnancy, I remember asking a midwife, I remember asking a doctor, I remember asking my mum, my sisters, you know, is it okay to have one drink a week when you're pregnant? And of course, 2005, and we still hear it today, that continual response was, oh yeah, as long as you don't get tipsy or as long as you don't drink too much, of course it's fine. And I think until we can actually normalize, you know what, this is a period of time when you don't drink because you want, we know that every mother wants to have a healthy baby. We know that we all want the best start for our children in life, but we can only do what we do because we know what we know. So that general education message, and I think as a message of hope within Australia, um, knowing that the national campaign is being launched to mainstream public towards the end of 2021, continually I hold on with optimism that that's going to start to change the face of the general public in Australia, really, that we're going to start to see a really different approach. And I think a very busy 2022 for No Fans Day Australia with the helpline. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. I love to hear that 2022 is going to look busy and productive. And I agree a thousand percent, Sophie, that we really need to get that message across. Why is alcohol consumption normalized and sobriety is not? And if it is normalized, then we need to be more candid and of course, have less stigma about the discussion of FASD because I, I know I see this um, I see this sticker all the time when I'm I'm doing my social media posts. But FASD affects everyone, whether you know it or not. It affects somebody yeah. you know. It really does. So, how can listeners get in touch with you? Donate, support. 
I'm giving you a platform. Please share away for no fasty Australia. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Natalie. I think we've um, certainly, you know, mentioned it a lot already in the uh, podcast but for us we've been very grateful to have the health department funding for a helpline because certainly having a um, reactive response-based information source I think is is beneficial to our stakeholders the curated website as you mentioned already just having the resource to to maintain that and keep it updated because you know as we all know websites particularly if they are evidence-based, are a wonderful source of information and you can go, you know, you can go and you can get what you need to know. Um, yeah, I mean, we ha- it's all on our website, hopefully, so we have lots of fact sheets and um, lots of audio-visual things that people can listen to um, to keep people entertained on the topic of FASD and also to give them some good information. And I've seen some wonderful videos from No FASD Australia on YouTube. Uh, you know, educational videos, wonderful videos that people can share. And, and, you know, if you don't know how to introduce FASD to a new teacher or someone, you know, you have so many wonderful resources. And I know you're also present on just about every social media, uh, (laughs) on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. So I know that your presence is, is out there. So we, again, we will share all of this information in our program notes, as well as on our social media posts so that you can learn more about NoFest Australia. So before we end on our hope takeaways, Sophie and Louise, any other final tidbits we need to know about NoFASD Australia? Um, just for our Australian listeners, just to say that we do have a free helpline, which is a 1-800 number. So I'd love to share that, which is 1-800-860-613. And you can contact us via the contact us page on our website, which is www.nofasd.org.au. Um, and like yourself, Natalie, and I know you've spoken to Kurt, our podcaster, um, but uh, Kurt's um, into his third series now that he's released. Um, so pregnancy and alcohol, the surprising reality. And uh, like yourself, Natalie, many, many um, speakers and visitors to the podcast. And I personally share my story on there and you can hear from Louise and uh, yeah, lots of um, amazing other people and professionals that uh, you can listen to. Over to you, Louise. Oh, I was just actually just going to make the comment about Natalie um, mentioned all of our socials platforms and they, we have to thank our founder, Sue Myers, for that because she she's just someone who's worked in this FASD space for 40 years and so she recognised a long time ago that socials was really important and dragged, well, me sort of kicking and screaming in a way in, towards it because I realised that you you can't not do it. And to, to some extent, the same thing happened with podcasts. Kurt was all keen for them, whereas I thought, oh, who listens to podcasts? But now I realise that everyone listens to podcasts and they're outstanding. So anyway, we all learn what we need to know to get the message about FASD out. Absolutely, absolutely. And Louise and Sophie, it has been a joy speaking with you both today. I am so happy to learn about NoFASD, the amazing work that you've done, the amazing ways the government is supporting your organization, and just the hopes and goals that you have for 2022. I 
love to end our episodes on a hope takeaway, uh, words of hope that our listeners can bring with them on their FASD journeys, no matter how they're involved in FASD. Louise, can we start with you and then we'll end with Sophie? I'm hoping that um, ending positively is also hope, but I feel very hopeful that the um, approach taken by the national campaign that FAIR are developing, we've had, Sophie and I've had the privilege of sort of seeing the advanced information on that. And I really feel optimistic that it could address some of those concerns that we have. Um, I guess the other hopeful thing is uh, for me, I just, it's so important that people realise that intervention and understanding of FASD is the, the key to success long term. Like it's it's not curable. You can't make it go away. But it changes lives to have that um, that recognition and the you know the supports and you know all of the things that we we all know are so important. I mean Diane Diane Melbourne's work and it's just uh, that would be my feeling that the, there's hope there and we want to get that message out too. Well, Louise, you stole the words right out of my mouth um, because what I was going to say is very similar and along the lines that, you know, having my hope, my my um, dream, I guess, for the next few years is that reduction in stigma, uh, the fact that health professionals will give the advice early in um, a woman and a man's journey, a girl and a boy's journey um, about alcohol and pregnancy uh, how important it is that we avoid alcohol when we're even considering um, a pregnancy and that that early intervention makes all the difference. And we know, and I know now as a mum, that to have that early intervention can make such a difference. And if an individual is supported, they can have an amazing life and they can have a productive life and a happy life. But it's not rocket science. We just need to get the information out there and we need to support individuals who have FASD. So that's that's my hope, is that we reduce the stigma and we raise the education for, for great outcomes for everyone. Wonderful summation of hope takeaways. Louise Gray and Sophie Harrington of No FASD Australia, thank you for being on FASD Hope. Thank you. Thanks so much, Natalie. Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Becchione. If you like our show and want more information, check out FASDHope.com or please leave us a five-star rating and review and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you join us again next week and remember to be informed, take care, and always have hope.